over the uh, last few weeks, we've had uh, Dennis, who I've been listening to these podcasts while um, supping a pina colada on the beach. Um, I haven't really. Um, but I have listened to the podcasts, and um, it's been really faith-inspiring hearing Dennis talk about healing, hear, hearing um, uh, Paul Cattrall talk about um, um, all, 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 all the, his story and the, and the, the the whole thing, bringing a tongue in geese and all the supernatural power of God in working in these guys' lives. Really faith-inspiring for me. And I believe this is going to be another morning like that. Luke's going to share something on his heart. We've specifically asked him to talk about face-to-face with God, that intimate relationship that we uniquely, as Christians, don't have to earn. It's not about how good you are, but it's how good God is. Okay. And so, I'm going to ask Luke to take on the uh, uh, stage and let us share his heart. But I'm going to pray first, if that's okay. And let's all, let's all pray with him. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Luke. Thank you for uh, their family, for Luke, for the kids. I thank you, Lord, that this is a real man of faith. And I pray, Lord God, that something will be unleashed in us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that the power of God through the Word of God will be unleashed in us this morning. I pray that we get a glimpse, more of a glimpse of your name, your character, who you are, uh, as Luke shares the word of God in his heart. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. As I said, my name is Luke, and uh, I've been tasked with speaking to you for 20 minutes, and it's a great privilege to stand here this morning. So we're going to look at how God meets with Moses and how God meeting with Moses has a dramatic impact on our understanding with God. And as Raj has already divulged, the title of what I'm going to say is Face to Face with God. I am full of faith that God will speak to us this morning. And at the end of what I have to say, we'll have a time of allowing God to speak to us out of what I say. Over the last few months, we've been looking at God's big picture, or some of us have, uh, looking at the storyline of the Bible on, as Raj puts it, Theology Thursdays. If you haven't had the chance to come along, I'd really encourage you to read the book. Uh, The front page is up there, uh, the title page. It's a great summary of the Bible. I think sometimes we can get a little bit lost. Uh, We can't see the wood for the trees, uh, as we say, but this book is a great way of getting an aerial view Uh, to understand the Bible better. So as we've been talking this morning, God speaks to real people. He speaks to people like you and me. In the Bible, we see God is continuously involved in the world he created, and he relates to people who have faith in him. So in order to understand how God encounters Moses, we need to understand something about Moses. So Moses was born in Egypt, as you can see from the map in front of you. Um, Moses uh, was uh, born in the land of Egypt on the left there. Um, And uh, about 300 years before, the the people of God, the Hebrews, had moved to that land, and there were only about 70 of them. But over the course of several hundred years, the land became full of the Hebrews. They multiplied greatly, so much so that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, grew very concerned that the Hebrews might rebel 
against the Egyptians and cause trouble for them. So he decided to suppress the Hebrews by making them slaves and to treat them very harshly. So about 3,500 years ago, Moses was born into this context, a context in which the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, had decreed that all the Hebrew boys should be thrown into the river Nile to be drowned. This was the Pharaoh's way of controlling the number of Hebrews that were in the land. But through a miracle, Moses survived. Not only did he survive, but Moses grew up in Pharaoh's own household. Pharaoh's own daughter, a princess of Egypt, pulled him out of the river and brought him up. And Moses spent 40 years of his life growing up in Egypt, in probably the most uh, advanced civilization in the world at that time. So he was destined to die, but God rescued him and took him into the most advanced society in the world. And Moses knew he was a Hebrew. He knew he wasn't an Egyptian. And one day, when he's around 40 years old, he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses thinks to himself, he can rescue these people. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 25, it it says that Moses thought he could be the one to rescue the Hebrews from this tyranny that the Egyptians were ruling over them. So Moses kills this Egyptian. He takes matters into his hands and he kills him, thinking somehow that that would be a way of rescuing the whole nation. Um, But the Hebrews, uh, the next day, uh, Moses goes up to them and starts talking to some of the Hebrews, and they say to him, who made you ruler and judge over us? They had got to know about this murder that Moses had committed, and they rejected him as their leader. In fact, Pharaoh gets to know about this murder that Moses had committed, and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. So Moses runs away. He flees from Egypt to the land of Midian, from all the luxury of Egypt. Moses flees to Midian, which is circled in red on the map at the bottom right there. It's a desert. It's a wilderness. There's really nothing much there. He spends 40 years in the desert, half his life in the desert. He's now 80 years old. During that time, he's met a wife, Zipporah, and he's had a child who he's named Gershom, which means an alien in a foreign land. So clearly Moses wasn't particularly comfortable in the wilderness. He must have looked back on his life and wondered what on earth God was doing. What was God doing? So turn with me to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and uh, we start reading from the beginning of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So what did Moses become? Moses had become a shepherd. Looking back at his earlier life, the miracle surrounding his birth, being brought up in Pharaoh's household, now he's been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. He must have looked back at the time that he killed the Egyptian and wondered how on earth God's people could be rescued. He must have resigned himself to being a shepherd in the desert for the rest of his life. He can hardly have thought he was the right material for a great leader. But that is not what God thought. As one writer puts it, one normal, ordinary desert day, Moses stopped to look at a particular bush and nothing was ever normal and ordinary for him again. So this bush, I like the way one Bible translation puts it, the New Living Translation, Exodus 3, verse 3. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. I think it draws out some of the, uh, maybe the uh, amazement in Moses' heart uh, looking at the burning bush. No doubt, over the 40 years he'd spent in the desert, he would have seen bushes catch fire. And uh, they would just burn up in a few minutes. But this one caught his attention because it didn't burn up. It was a miracle. It was evidence of God's rule over his creation, that everything is under God's control. The fire of God is self-sufficient. It doesn't need anything to keep it going. 
So God is a God of miracles. What else did Moses learn about God from this encounter? He learned something about the holiness of God. God says, no closer, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. He doesn't say, take off your shoes and come closer. God has revealed himself and where God is, is holy. In fact, Moses goes a step further and hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. Perhaps this is something that we lose sight of, that God is a holy God. And even though God appeared to Moses, this great leader, there was still a distance that needed to be kept between God and Moses. Moses also learns that God has a perspective. We can see in these two verses that God has a perspective. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. God has seen, God has heard, God is concerned about their suffering. God has heard their cry. God is not a distant God who is uncaring. God is a God who is near and caring. In verse 16 uh, of chapter 3, it talks about God saying, I've watched over you. God watches over us. God cares about us. We might not understand what's going on, but God is watching over us. Moses also learns that God has a rescue plan for his people. It says in verse 8, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to take them out of a situation in which they are slaves and bring them into something else. He doesn't just want to rescue them into freedom that means nothing. I heard someone speak uh, about what freedom means. You could say to this hand, how could this hand be free? Well, you could cut it off. It would then be free. How would an oar be free of a boat? You could throw it into the water, it would be free. But that's not real freedom. A hand separated from the body is not free at all. An oar separated from a boat is not free at all. It has no function, it has no use. So God wants to take them out of something, from something, and into something else. And God's into is a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which means not literally that it's flowing with milk and honey. Um, It was an abundant land, a plentiful land. God has got a good plan for these people. God has got something good for us. And God's plan, God's future for his people is secure. We see in verse 12, God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It's an assurance to Moses. What he said is going to happen, is going to happen. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but it's going to happen. The future is fixed. The future is secure. But just because that success is guaranteed does not mean that life will be easy. Just look at what happens later on in, uh, in what happens to Moses. He goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh won't let the people go. He makes life 
harder for the Hebrews initially, and they don't, the Hebrew people don't accept him as their leader. But eventually, as the story progresses, what God has said will come to pass. And indeed, they do worship God on the mountain. The people will be freed. We sang earlier about there being waves in our life. The Bible doesn't deny that. There will be waves. There were many waves in Moses' life, but they don't overwhelm him. God's future is secure. God reveals his name to Moses. Now, in the modern world, a person's name is an identifying label. In biblical times, names were often given to impart some information, perhaps describing the way uh, a person was born or circumstances around their birth or describing something of the character of a person. Now, we can't push this too far. For example, one of the characters in the Bible is called Deborah, and her name means bee. Esther means myrtle. It's difficult to find a deep theological meaning in that, but many of the names in the Bible have a deeper meaning. So, for example, Moses, uh, the Bible tells us uh, in Exodus 2 and verse 10, he's named by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, and the name Moses sounds like the Hebrew for I drew him out of the water, because that's exactly what Pharaoh's daughter did. She took him out of the water. So Moses' name tells us something about what happened in his life. So names in the Bible can mean something about what happens to a person, or it can tell something about the character. So when Moses is saying to God, the Hebrews would ask, what is God's name? They would be asking more like, what does God reveal of himself? What has God revealed of himself? And what does, what does God reveal of himself? God says, I am who I am. It's very difficult to get across what I am, who I am means. It was re- originally written in the Hebrew language, and it's related to the Hebrew word, which means to be. It could be translated as I was, or I am, I continue and continuously am, or I will be. Within the Hebrew phrase is an expression of active presence rather than just mere existence. It's from this phrase that we get the name Yahweh. And from the I am who I am in Hebrew, the word that the the sounds in that are gathered up and run together to form the word Yahweh, which is the name of God, which is mentioned 6,000 or more times in the Old Testament. So what does it mean? What does it mean to us? I am who I am. It means God is. God exists because he's God. It doesn't say I am because you are. It says I am. It doesn't rely on us. It doesn't rely on what we do. It doesn't say, I am what you are to me. It says, I am who I am. God is. God exists. There's a certain amount of mystery attached to it. God is who God is. God is separate from us. He's holy from us. We can't understand everything about him. But he's chosen to reveal himself to us. It brings the people of God into intimate relationship as the ones to whom God has revealed his name. And it demonstrates his commitment 
to them. God is interested in us. God cares about us. He had no need to reveal himself to Moses. It wasn't as though he was lonely or bored or didn't have anything to do. He chose to reveal himself to Moses and the people of God. I am who I am speaks something of the past. God had appeared to people since the creation of the world. This same God who'd spoken to people in the past was speaking to Moses right there and then out of the fire. And he was speaking of something that would happen in the future. I think that I am who I am is well uh, explained in, in the life of Moses. God had been there in the beginning of Moses' life. He'd rescued him miraculously. He'd brought him into Pharaoh's household. He'd revealed himself to Moses out of this burning bush that didn't burn. He was right there speaking to Moses. And he was going to be there in the future. He was an active God. He was going to release his people from slavery. If you take an example today of a parent who says to their child, I love you, but does nothing more, just says the words. The words don't really mean very much if they're not borne out in any action. God isn't a God of word only. He speaks and he acts. Both of them are part of who God is. The I am of God isn't a title, but it describes who he is. It is his character. It is his name. God speaks and acts. So what do we learn from the life of Moses? Moses could have thought that everything was lost. He'd blown it when he murdered the Egyptian, and he was destined to lead sheep in the desert for the rest of his life. Yet, as we've seen, God doesn't look at him as the rest of the world might look at him. We learn that God is a God of miracles. God is a holy God who sees, hears, and is concerned about what happens to his people. And he has a plan to rescue his people. It may be a difficult road, as it was for Moses, but the future is secure. God's people will be free. Perhaps most of all, we learn the name of God. God is a God of the past, the present, and the future. He is active. God is. Now you might say, some of these things have got eternal truths, but Luke, I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not in slavery in Egypt. And of course, you'd be right. But, and this is very important, Moses modelled something in the past that spoke of someone who was coming. Someone who was God's rescue plan to release his people from slavery. Not slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin. So what's sin? Sin is all the things that we do wrong that separate us from a holy and pure God. So this someone who God sent offered himself as a sacrifice, offered all of his life to make things right between us and God. And his sacrifice was sufficient because he was and is God. And yet death couldn't hold him. He defeated death and came to life again. And through this person, we can now come to know God. And how do we do this? We put our faith in this person and his name 
is Jesus. So God cares for you. He hasn't abandoned you. God sees and hears and is concerned about you. And this holy God has revealed himself to us. God was and is and will be forever. And you can know him more this morning. As it says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So please stand. We have some time, so please allow God to speak to you. God revealed himself, not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. God wants to speak to his people this morning. God says, I am. He cares for you. In the silence, in the silence, just open your heart to him and allow God to, to speak. Let God be God, the I am who I am, the God of the past, the God of the present, the God of the future, the God who holds your future secure. If you believe and trust in him, if you put your faith in him, your future is secure. Lord, we just ask you to speak to us this morning. Lord, you are an amazing God. You're a God of miracles. You perform things that just aren't possible because you are God. You created the world that we live in. You have authority over us. You have authority over the world, Lord. And yet you care about us. You care about Moses. You cared about your people sufficiently to intervene, to do something to rescue them. And you care about us now, Lord. Just allow God to speak to you, Lord. Speak to us, God, now. not having the band up, but I think there's something about sharing. I, people, there'll be people here this morning, and already Pat's come to the front, where God will have spoken, and God wants to share, God wants you to share what God's put on your heart, so that the church, the body of Christ, we heard it the other day from Paul Cattrall, yeah, can be lifted, and, and, um, and, if you like, what's that called? Shot out, if you like. Shot out in faith. Were a people prepared? The spring, uh, the winter is over, as Kyrian shared with us before. So if that's you, if you have something that you want to share, I, I, just feel this, I just feel in my kind of gut, if you like, that there are people who want to share something that's going to lift the church this morning because we are a people prepared. We're about to take off. Yeah into the plans and purposes of God. This is a holy moment. This is a burning bush moment. When Moses met 
God face to face, it looked like something. I'm just going to have Pat share something. And as Pat's sharing something, can I ask you to be bold and just come to the front? And I'm just going to share for a few minutes. And I'm just going to lead us.